Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to be doing Micah 3 and 4. Um, it's been a little, it's been a, been minute, a hot minute yeah. since we recorded and part of that's because we've had sicknesses, sicknesses in the house. In the house. My, I've had a, some sort of cold thing where I just, I, w- I could not have recorded a podcast um, and my voice probably still sounds a little different. Um, but then also just the craziness of everything that's going on in the world right now with the coronavirus and having to get Garrett moved uh, yeah, my, into I'm working now, at yeah, home. Yeah, I'm now working at home. I have my office set up upstairs, and so yeah. that's pretty pretty sweet. I really yeah. like that. It's um, a great setup, but we've just had a lot of moving pieces. It's just been a weird week. Yeah. Um, And so we're finally, finally back. Good to be back. And we're excited about doing Micah 3 and 4. Yeah. Um, before we jump into that, um, we're going to do a couple of icebreaker questions um, and one other thing. Um, but to start out with, really important question, Garrett. You ready? Yeah, let's do All this. All right. Who are three people you want on your team if there was a zombie apocalypse? Which seems appropriate. That's an appropriate question. Exactly. For right now. Given I mean, our this is climate. kind of this is kind of zombie apocalypse. Uh, you know, atmosphere right now. It feels yeah, like I, everybody's like going into hiding and stuff. So no toilet paper. Uh, no. So three people, uh, you want on your team if there was a zombie apocalypse? Um. So I'm gonna go D and D on this one. Uh, and oh think goodness. about a team. What what t- what type of team do I want? So I want a warrior, right? I want somebody that's gonna fight. Uh, I'm going with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Okay. Okay. Uh, who is gonna slaughter any zombies in my path? He's gonna be my. He's gonna be my warrior knight class. Uh, you know you have to have somebody that can do, uh, the, uh, the bard work. Um, which would be like preparing uh meals, but also like uh playing music, things like that. But <laughs> playing music and <laughs> well, the, actually, this person, this wow. person wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, but uh, I don't. Uh, I guess the person that I had in my head, uh, I was thinking more of being able to feed everyone. Yeah. Uh, and and stuff. Um, but so <laughs> I I just music. looked at like uh the chefs. Uh, so I I think the Hell's Kitchen guy would be a great like. Oh. So he seems like really, uh, hardcore, you know. But he knows how to cook. So it seems like he'd probably be willing to kill zombies if okay. he needed to. But he could also dynamically, you know, be able to to cook and things like that. Um. And then, I mean, the third one I've really struggled with. I I would think I want somebody that can tell jokes or or whatnot. I don't know, you know, like they could. They it seems like they'd be okay, um, with, uh, or that wouldn't be freaking out necessarily. Well, I guess most people would be freaking out. Just kind of lighten apocalypse. the mood. Lighten the mood. I'm gonna uh-huh. go Jeff Foxworthy. Okay. Uh, that he could he could maybe. Uh, I I think you know he's kind of got that southern. 
uh, willing to get your hands dirty kind of idea, you know, which is necessary for the zombie apocalypse. Uh, but he could tell jokes to lighten the mood. He would be gotcha. the bard. But um, so yeah, I'm going. I'm going. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy on that one. So I've got my I've got my warrior, and then I've got a person that can like take care. Or really, that would be more uh healer type, I guess, in the D and D world. Um, where so the person that can cook and take care of stuff. Uh. And then uh, Bard that can lighten the mood and Jeff Foxworthy. So there you go. Those are my three zombie apocalypse uh, choices not, for my team. Not what I was expecting. <laughs> well, you were wanting to be um, more personal and like, well, well, would you choose this person? Why like, am I not on your exactly, team? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Well, you know what? I, like, I'm trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. I feel like my mom would make your team before I would because she could fall under the cooking category. <laughs> yeah, she could. For sure. I don't, so, you know, like you. And she like, has, she has, but, I think, a pretty good stash of food. You yeah, know? that's true as well. Um, maybe she might be on my list before you. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so your question um, is: if you could go back in time, what would be one thing that you would tell your teenage self? For some reason, the first thing that popped into my head was just the word "relax." Mm. Um, because I have always just had like kind of an anxious personality and, um, really have put a lot of pressure on myself to do well at things and put a lot of unnecessary stress on myself. It was never anything that like my parents didn't have to push me to do well in school because I just freaked myself out so much yeah you thought you you used to think every test you took you failed right <laughs> you know and right. then you would it would come back and you have like 98 or 100 or something ridiculous yeah uh, uh I think just to kind of enjoy that time that I was you know like living at home and having like my mom cooking so many awesome meals and not having to really worry about a lot of the you know, adult things, yeah. like just trying to more, you know, not, not be crazy, but just enjoy that time more of, um, not having as many responsibilities and not, I think that's the whole, whole point though, is that like at that time you don't have the maturity level, like in every life state, like you just don't have the maturity level yet to figure out, oh, this isn't really that big of a deal. Yeah, everything, you know? everything feels like it's the biggest deal. Uh, I mean, because it is to you, you know, like yeah. it is something like whenever you're a teenager, it likes there are certain things that feel like if it were to go this way, it'd be the end of the world. Um, and then you get older, and then there's something else that it's like if that was, if this was to happen, this would be the end of the world. But that oh, that other thing, whenever I was a teenager, ah, oh, you know, that yeah. wasn't that big a deal. But like every life stage, it seems like there's something. There's always something that it feels like if if I, if this weren't to happen, it'd be the end of the world. Right. But then you you look back on it later and you're like, ah, oh, that wasn't really that big well, a deal. Well, I mean, you, you can even just see it in, in Caleb at, yeah. you know, four years old of just the little things that are like the end of the world for him. Um, like something stuck in his shoe or, mm. you know, like his sock doesn't feel right. And it's just like, you know. You it's very to real to him. And it's very, and it is the biggest stressor in his life. Yeah. <laughs> but it just seems ridiculous, um, obviously now. And for him, it will feel ridiculous in a few years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that was my... my Mine would probably be obvi- opposite for my teenage self. Of like, 
Dude, try harder. Try harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, just, I didn't that's try hard until I was in college. It's just more of a personality thing. Yeah. Of there, there, ha- there does have to be some sort of balance there. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> we're we're perfect for each other. I I <laughs> just well I just got more and more, I guess uh, like, into. Or I guess, I guess more stressed out by different stuff as time went on. Yeah. You know, as opposed to that always being the way that I was. It was like it, it became it became more and more of that as I got into college. Yeah. So I took things more seriously and stuff like that, so. And just kind of speaking of, of stressors, obviously like the coronavirus or COVID-19 or whatever you want to call it, um, has been a big deal and has impacted a lot of people. And it's obviously... A bad thing yeah. that's happening right now um but i've really been trying to challenge myself to somehow find joy or or good things that are coming out of yeah out of uh the changes that we're having to make specifically mm-hmm. um you know i love caleb going to preschool he's not getting to do that right now i think he even misses preschool i think he misses his friends at preschool and i can't imagine if i had older kids you know, if we had older kids that we were having to sort of, you know, kind of homeschool essentially right, um, right now because, you know, Caleb, we're just like, let's practice some letters. Like there's not. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't like imagine if, 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 you know, there, I mean, there's people out there who, um, you know, they're both like both parents are working, you know, they have jobs that they have to go to and still do, but their kids are not, are at home, and so they're having to figure all of that stuff out. And yeah. so I know that's really hard. And, and then people losing jobs. People, yeah. I mean, it's just like there's so many different ways that this can affect people. But we want to really be seekers of how can we be thankful. Um, I think... Um, Concentrate on that, which is good. Right. Know? And then that helps. I think that really helps you deal with the situation whenever you can... I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of become cliche, but it's like count your blessings, but not because like that just all of a sudden, all in the moment changes you, but the more you do it, I think the more you start to realize what you do have and how, you know, how you do, we are, we are blessed in, in the stuff that we have and the, the life that we get to live. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's important. I think the more we do that, the more we change, like we actually start to change in, recognize that that's real like that that the the more you try to concentrate on the good things the more they become you know um real to you so yeah i think that's very important so i th- I think for me um the thing that has uh, been i guess positive out of this is um well i hey I, I, I get to spend more time with my kids that i get to see them you know whenever sadie gets up I'm the first person she wants to go see. She runs, she, runs to his yeah, desk chair. Yeah, she runs to my desk chair and wants to hug me and stuff. And so that's fun. And get to spend more time with Caleb. You know, I'll be done with work at around 5 o'clock. And so instead of me driving home over an hour, you know, I get to just immediately spend time with my kids. And so that's a big benefit. Uh, but I, I think the biggest thing for me that I've noticed is just how quickly and how how we have been able to adapt to it with the church and how like we're learning new ways to connect with each other Mm. that we've never had to do before. And so where it's really uh, inconvenient and it's not something that is fun 
necessarily up front, I think we're going to learn a lot from it. And I think there's going to be good things that come out of it. I think there's already good things that have come out of it that we're, we're able to more dynamically reach, uh, people that wouldn't necessarily walk through the quote church doors, you know, that we can, that we can put Jesus out there in front of more people because of, because of this. So it's like, man, like maybe, I mean, I struggle with the idea of like everything happens for a reason, uh, idea. Um, but I I really do. I'm I'm trying to look at this and and I'm seeing that hey, there are good things that are coming out of this horrible situation, um, and you know it's not it's not convenient, it's not nice, but I think we are learning a lot. We're learning how to connect with each other in a different way that we've never, never done before, and it it's totally changing. I mean, this this might shape our culture for the future, and that if in a good way. Um, so I I see that as a positive. So what about you? Well, um, when we were talking about doing this question, I have thought about um, <clears throat> Philippians four six. Um, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Um, this is. Well, there's a bigger section of scripture here that we've been kind of reading a lot lately at East Brainerd. And um, I think what's really standing out to me right now is this part that says, with thanksgiving. And it's talking about being in this, you know, anxious, do not be anxious about anything. And, and this idea of being thankful and showing gratitude in every season Um that's kind of what made me want to do this question in the first place. Yeah. And um, so seeking that out, I have found, well, for one, like when the kids are napping during the day, I'm able to go out and walk by myself because you're in the house with them. So mm-hmm. if they were to wake up or whatever, like I could be, you could just text me and I would be right back. And so that has been just a blessing to kind of like have some, alone time and being outside specifically and not being in the house um just to kind of get some fresh air and kind of reset myself for the day mm-hmm. um that's been a a huge thing for me yeah i love that little section um what 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 sticks out to me in that is that it's not just a don't be anxious you know i, I think that's what we're what like a lot of times when we read that that's what we pull out of it is like oh just don't be anxious but Paul is, he's not, whenever we just take that away, that void is going to be filled with something, whether it be anxiety, or, you know, like, again, it's just like, if you, if you make that hole, it's going to fill back up. It's a matter of what you fill it back up with. Right. And I think whenever he says, don't be anxious, he's not just saying, don't do that. He's also saying, replace it instead with something else. What do I replace it with? I replace it with Thanksgiving, prayer and mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, and that, I offer that up and and replace my anxieties instead with this thankfulness. Yeah. Um gratitude. and, and mm-hmm. yeah, this gratitude for what we have. And so I I think that that's really important whenever we think about things that we're supposed to eliminate from our lives and stuff like usually whenever Paul writes in his letters, he says not this, <coughs> but this. He does right. that in Ephesians a lot a lot of like don't don't be like this, instead be like that. And right. the idea isn't just that, oh, just do away with all the bad things. It's fill yourself up with the good things. Right. And, uh, and so I, I, I think that's something that really sticks out to me in that is that, okay, how do I deal with anxiety? Well, I replace that with instead of thankful heart and something that how do I, how do I identify the, 
good things that I have. Right. So. I think also for me, um, same as you said, just having more time together, obviously, like, it helps me so much in the evening for you to already be home and be done with work at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. And when normally I'm still, I'm trying to like manage the kids and start dinner and all that. So that's just been like a big help. And then from more of like a simplicity standpoint, it's kind of, it's really made me grateful for the fact that generally we do have like toilet paper so easily available. Like we've had a hard time finding meat yeah. Like in the grocery stores and um like I think I've I've that's something that I've taken for granted. Yeah. The ability to just oh, go in sure. the grocery store yeah. and pick up just whatever I want. And um, cuz not everything is there right now and while we still have way more than we need, you know, um we're very well taken care of in terms of we're able to eat all the the meals and we have so many options um but just that being able to easily access toilet paper yeah <laughs> like it's something that I'm thankful for that that's that this is not our reality most yeah. of the time and that hopefully it won't be our reality much longer yeah um so I'm just you know kind of the simple things yeah is that that taking away of something helps you realize how beautiful that thing was. Right. And that that's frustrating that we have to see it that way. Like that we that's the way that we have to learn. Mm-hmm. Um but we're so you know hard-headed and stiff we're stiff-necked people. Right. Uh, as that scripture I can't, would say. I can't that, be thankful for the fact that I don't have to go kill my food. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're like one of the first societies that's ever been able to do that. Right. You know. That I can have it, you know, nicely packaged and, yeah. and everything. Uh, and just to even have toilet paper and not have to le- use leaves all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, just those kinds of things. Um, it makes me want to look more for the things that we do have on the regular basis, like, you know gas for our cars you know like we don't have an access problem for that right now just i don't know just little things like that that i think we could do a better job of focusing on and being thankful for mm-hmm. all right so let's jump into micah. To micah chapter three all right so just to recap where we were uh chapters one and two i mean there is just full of judgment and uh, where God's getting up off of his throne, basically he's coming down to judge his his children. He's coming down to uh, to discipline them. And uh, chapter one uh, talks a lot about Samaria, that's the northern kingdom's capital, and then also about uh, Judah uh, and Jerusalem. And you know, th- there's just different aspects of that where he's he's coming to lay waste to them. Uh, and he's doing that through the means of Assyria, and that we covered that in the first podcast. But that's just kind of a uh, a snapshot of what those are. And then chapter two ended with this little, um, little interesting um, sliver of hope, mm-hmm. um, in that one day I'm going to gather you. I will surely gather you, O Jacob, and we'll surely gather together the remainder or the remnant of Israel. Uh, and I will set them like sheep in Basra, of Basra, like a herd in the midst of their pasture. They will be in uh, tumult uh, from people. There, there's just going to be tons of people. Um, and the one who breaks out before them goes up, 
um, they break through the pass gate going out through it. Their king passes before them, Yahweh at their head. So uh, there's just that little um, little sliver of hope there at the end that, that one day God's going to come and dwell with them. He's going to gather his people, his remnant, and he's going to lead them out. Uh, very uh, repetition, there's repetitive of the Exodus narrative of them of God leading them out. So that's kind of where we are. There's just like all this judgment. They've he is really not happy with the leaders uh in in Israel and in Judah. So that that is going to continue here in chapter 3. So why don't you go ahead. All right. Chapter 3 verse 1. Then I said, "Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil?" who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Yeah, so again, he kind of leans this out, this next section of Oracle. Uh, he's He calls out the leaders directly. Um, he said, is it not for you to know justice? This is going to be a theme in chapter 3 of justice. It, it's really a, a theme of the whole book um, that he is about. He's like, why aren't you doing the justice of God? Uh, the mishpat. That's the Hebrew word is mishpat. Um, and and I think I talked about in, in the first podcast, justice uh, is about like upholding the law. But it's more so about taking care of the needy and looking out for those that can't look out for themselves. So that, like, that's what he's calling them to. Is it not for you to carry out that justice, right? And then instead he calls them that they're haters of good and lovers of evil. Um, and he he kind of uh, this little section of who who tear um the skin from them and the flesh from their bones, and you know it's like really vivid imagery there. Um, that's something that if you go to Psalm chapter 14, you read Psalm chapter 14, uh, those that are evil are tearing, they're tearing and eating his people as though they were bred. So he's kind of, that's a, uh, a rep repetitive, um, theme in scripture. It's not, it's not like all throughout scripture. It's just like they use that imagery a lot in that of eating of the flesh of God's people, and so they're tearing them apart from the inside. Uh, they're eating. They're cannibalizing themselves. Um, and instead, uh, they chop them like meat in a cooking pot, right? So that's really vivid stuff. Yeah, I mean, I when I was reading that the first time, I remember thinking about The Walking Dead again. Mm-hmm. I feel like that happens a lot. Yeah. In the, um, where that there's a there's a section of, there's one one of the seasons of the walking dead they're dealing with cannibals and um just kind of that vivid imagery and to me it kind of calls back to the things in the the last chapter where he's calling them out for the things that they're doing to them so this is just a more vivid way of of you know kind of like having an analogy to describe those yeah. things of what it means to really like take someone's home you yeah. know like yeah. you're destroying them yeah. you know um, and these are your own people. Yeah. Like this is your brother that you're doing this to. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're taking from your own brother, you're cannibalizing yourself. So he uses an image that they're both literally doing. Uh, I mean, they've, mm-hmm. they're trapped in a city. They have nothing to eat. Uh, and so, I mean, that would happen a lot whenever you were, whenever you're held out, you know, like you can't get any food into the city. 
eventually you turn to what you can eat. You know, I think Sean, Sean White made a joke on his Instagram about like, well, you know, he had uh, Percy, their dog. He was like, what happened? You know, what do we eat first if we can't? Percy was the first store. to go. So, but like, uh, you know, that's a, that's a thing that's happened before. You know, you've had to make a choice of like, yeah. do I eat my animal or not so like I, I don't know that's that's something like so he he's using something that they're at like that's kind of happening and then he's also using it in a figurative way that'd be like you you did this to yourselves like you yeah. did this to us you leaders of israel so there's that um you want to keep going all right so then they will cry verse four then they will cry out to the lord but he will not answer them at that time he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they prepare to wage war against him. So in that, he's talking about these false leaders, or these bad leaders. They're not false Mm -hmm. leaders. They actually are leaders that are just leading very badly. Mm -hmm. Um, That they're eventually going to cry out to Yahweh, and he's not going to answer. Why? Because they're not doing mishpat. They're not doing justice. And so it's like, oh, so you want to just call me when it's convenient and whenever it sucks for you uh, and whenever things aren't going right. Yeah, when we were when we were reading this the other day, I thought you made a great point um, because I think it's hard to read then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them because it starts to question of like, wait, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I thought he always... Right, there's so many times where he's like, if you would just turn to me, I'll turn back to you. And that's true. And this is, and but you pointed out that this is not a cry of repentance. Right. And it just made me think there is, there's such a huge difference between calling out for help versus saying, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, And that I want to turn from the life that I've been living. Yeah. Um, And so, so crying out to the Lord and saying, help me, help me, help me. I think that that's something that a lot of times we fall guilty yeah. of doing, of just saying like, oops, now I'm in a trouble spot, wave our arms to God and um, cry out for help Yeah. Um, without actually, you know, yeah, I mean, having and, any repentance. And like what we talked about last time, God's no chump. It's not something right. that he's, uh, you know, he's able to see this. And it's really, it's just to cry out because you're in a bad situation, not because you see the wrong that you've done. Right. Um, and so because of that, he's not answering them. Uh, and like that just helped me make a lot of sense out of scripture like that, of, yep. of, of recognizing that this is not a cry for like, for, you know, asking for, for like, yeah. yeah. So, so one thing to keep in mind with this is that they would cry out to God. They would cry mm-hmm. out to Yahweh. Hezekiah would call out to him. And so in this story, it, it, whenever you really, if you know the story, you can understand where it's like Hezekiah actually turned himself over to Yahweh and he said, I'm the one that's done wrong here. Um, and he turned himself over to Yahweh and then Assyria wakes up one day and 120,000 of them are, are dead. And then they, they just march their way back home. It's just like they're just miraculously delivered is the, is the way the story goes in Second Kings. And so uh, that's something that you know has like happened uh, you know, we're reading this. We know that Yahweh did answer them, but it was once they rendered their hearts fully. In mm-hmm. this case, right here in verse four, they haven't rendered their hearts to Him. He's saying, "You guys are just being jerks, and you're not, you're not holding with uh, upholding mishpat. Mm-hmm. Instead, you're 
uh, taking advantage of people. So when you cry out to me, I'm not, no, 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 thank you. Right. You know, so. Um, um, and then for verse five, um, it reminds me a lot of the last chapter with kind of like the prophets basically being like, oh yeah, you're giving me stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to have peace in your life. You know, good things are going to come. Yeah. And if, if someone isn't helping those prophets and they're like, just going to say that bad things are going to happen and war is going to be waged on them. And um, I think you kind of described it as like buying their loyalty. or Yeah, like I mean, they're just buying their prophecies. Yeah. You know, it's like if if you just give me money, uh, then good things will happen to you. And if you don't, then bad things are going to happen to you. And they're not, again, they're still not upholding Mishpat. They're not saying, you know, they're not, it, it's all about what are you giving me? You know, instead of what are you doing for other people? Right. Um, and teaching them that way. That was what their role was supposed to be. They were supposed to be helping them turn to that. Instead, they're just giving prosperity gospel. Right. Um, and, and telling them, if you just give, then you're, everything's going to go well for you. So, okay. So keep going. All right. Verse 6. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination the sun will set for the prophets, and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed, and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces, because there is no answer from God. Yeah, so there we have that kind of, it's that repetition of no reply. Mm-hmm. Uh, that everything grows dark, and then the sun sets on the prophets. And so these people that are just you know being paid to give good, you know, good prophecy... Uh, all of that's going to come tumbling down, uh, and instead they're going to cover their mouth, you know, because there's no reply from God, and they're just like, they're they are in disarray because of it. You know, they're freaking out because it was like, oh, I thought what I thought we were God's people. Yeah, yeah. they've they've leaned on that so much. Yeah, of just the fact that Yahweh is like He is their God. The trouble is, is that they have been worshiping other things. Yeah. And, wow, that's so relatable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, like they've they've turned their um they've turned their allegiance to other stuff, and it's like, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm yeah, I am your God, but you're not you're I'm not actually your God. Like you're you're worshiping other stuff. Uh, I feel like that's so like yeah, we don't want like we don't idolize. The same types of things. Yeah, we're not we're not out worshiping, you know, Asherah or Baal. Right. But what what are what are you getting to? Well, I mean, just like I don't know. Like, I feel like we sometimes maybe just different people that we kind of idolize, or just I don't know, just different things in. I don't know. I mean, things in our culture that we idolize. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, good grief. You know, like we had a show that we, me and you watched it all the time too with your parents. So like we have a show called American Idol. (laughs) It's like, like that is, that's what we watched. And we were like, you legitimately idolize these people and you think that they can't do anything wrong and that, that somehow that they know more than everybody else. You know, like all these and I'm just talking generally celebrities and you know, that it's like, we worship what these people have to say and we will just like, you know, we'll retweet it and you know, we'll post repost stuff that they post. And it's just like what they say, we just take as truth all the time. Um, and you know, or we worship, I mean, I, I I see it all the time that we worship our jobs. We worship the things that we do. 
um, or the the ideal that they have set in front of you. Because it, it, that happens all the time with work where it's like, well, this is the standard and you should be following this if like that, uh, you know, you need to be putting in this much overtime and stuff. If you really care about this stuff, then this is what you're going to do. And so like you're challenged yeah. to like, it's like, well, do you really care about our company and things like that? I, like that happens all the time yeah. that you're challenged like sometimes it's really subtle and then it's like you're challenged with do you care more about the company or do you care more about this other thing but it's not always like a direct um choice all yeah. the time it feel it doesn't never feels like a direct choice but it is a choice it's like they're in front of you and you just have to recognize it for what it is but there's a lot of different stuff that we I mean worship. I even think like hobbies and stuff yeah. I mean it's things that are not necessarily inherently bad um or our skills or yeah. our capabilities the things that we're able to do or that we want to elevate uh for ourselves that we think we're awesome because of that thing and and just kind of like the other reason I said why that's so relatable is because I do think that we feel like and, and it's true like we are God's people mm-hmm. and I think we've mentioned this I don't remember if it was in Jonah or if it was in the last chapters, um, but of just kind of that idea of like, yeah, I'm fine. Like I'm got like, I'm a follower of of Christ. Like I'm good. Yeah, like, it's the same. Uh, lean on that. Yeah, that response from Jonah. I'm a Hebrew. Yes. Well, and just the same in the last chapter, it was like, what we're you know like we're God's people. Is his you know, is his anger length you know like shortened or you know surely Yahweh's not changed? No, it's not Yahweh that's changed. It's you that's changed. Right. And you have been unfaithful, and so the question then comes back to us of like, well, Peter would say that we're the kingdom of priests. We have, we're now the ones that are walking that path, and we have this example of somebody that's not, you know, that you know, God's people here were not, they're not upholding mishpat, and so it's left to Can you, you to be. Can you remind me again what mishpat is? Oh, this justice, justice. Oh. So when, anytime you see, <laughs> so uh, it when you see. God's justice, it's his mishpat. Um, that's what that, it's just that Hebrew word. I just want to kind of get that out there of like, that's what that, you know, the idea that's behind it is that the upholding of other people uh, and looking out for others um, and loving your neighbor as yourself, that's mishpat. Um, that's justice. Um, you know, if you could speak Spanish, you'd be one of those people that would like go back and forth between languages. <laughs> Without even recognizing well, if I could, it. Well, if I could speak any other, like an actual other language, you know, like... Because I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're just, all of a yeah. sudden you're throwing out some... Yeah. So that, that, that it's it's the justice of God. That's yeah. what that's what Mishpat is. Okay. Um. Yeah. So uh, we're left with that same <clears throat> choice of like, we need to, we need to see this in ourselves. Of like, whether or not we, we're just saying nice things instead of actually calling out God's, God's people to be different and to yeah. uphold you know, uphold the mishpat of God, you know, what, instead of just trying to be nice about it, mm-hmm. you know, all so right. you want to keep going? Yeah. All right. I'm going to start in, <coughs> excuse yeah. me, I'm going to start so in verse eight. Just for, for note, eight starts Micah speaking on behalf of himself, right? Like, <coughs> so go ahead. All right. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might. Where's mishpat? Mishpat. <laughs> <laughs> See, but do like you see it, like how it's a theme. So go ahead. To declare Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. 
Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice. Mishpat. <laughs> and destroy all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Yeah, so he's just like filled up with the spirit of Yahweh. uh, And he is full of power and justice and might. Um, and so, and then he's calling out Jacob. I mean, this is not something that's just like, oh, just go be nice and, uh, just change your ways. Like, no, like he's calling them out and, and telling them that they need to be different, uh, and instead to hold up justice instead of detesting justice, uh, and perverting all that is right. Uh, he who builds Zion with blood, you know, he's telling them Mm. that they're doing, you know they're uh you know they're building it up with the blood of the people of Jerusalem and with wickedness and so like this is strong language uh for God's people um and instead and and we talked about this too of that you know the so there's a, there's a kind of the threefold leaders yeah. the judge uh judge would turn into a king um and then the priests and the prophets so all of these this threefold uh, leadership, they're all being bought for a price. And so he uses just different language basically to say the same thing, that right. you guys are just willing to be bought out. Um, but they lean on Yahweh saying, is Yahweh not in your, is Yahweh not in our midst? You yeah, know, just disaster, like, no, is it going to come yeah, on us? We're God's we're people. Yeah. We're God's people. What are you talking about? There, Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed like a field and Jerusalem will be a heap of rubble and the temple mount uh, as a high place in the forest. And so um, I think it's something to remember there. You remember the imagery that we saw before um, where Samaria, do you remember what it said about Samaria? That yeah. it would be uh, become yes. a place for planting vineyards? Yes, yeah. So a heap of, It also uses heap of Yeah, rain. so we a talked about that. planting vineyards. Yeah, yeah. like kind planting of the positive vineyards. spin of that, of like it's it's totally negative. Like, well, not totally negative. It's negative, Um that they're going to be destroyed, but the point isn't the destruction. The point is the regrowth. Mm -hmm. And just the same, it says, therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. That is such an important um, imagery used by Micah here on behalf of God, with God's voice and spirit, um, that he is saying, you're going to be plowed as a field. Well, why do you plow a field? You plow a field to grow something. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 totally you tear up its up this dirt and destroy it and like make it tumultuous and you know like and uh, and and destroy it in order to plant something new and to grow something out of it. Uh, so the end game isn't the destruction. The end game is the growth that comes out of the destruction. And so I think that that is just a really important image. Uh, to see there, and then the same thing that re- reduction to the Temple Mount, um, that it's for building up mm-hmm. uh, a high place as a high place in a forest. Yeah, so. I don't. It's, I don't, 
a mound overgrown with thickets is my version. And so I'm... Yeah, and so I, I don't know why that's so different. Um, let's see. the I've got a couple different translations, and we'll see what this one says. Uh, ESV says, Jerusalem shall be uh, made a heap of ruins, the mountain... In the mountain of the house, a wooded height. Hmm. So it it's, seems to be less about thickets, King James Version, uh, in the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. Um, so to me, it seems like more as a... Uh, if you think about a bald on top of a mountain, um, where... what So that's what they're <laughs> called, where there's no trees up at the top. You know, like... Yeah. Uh, well, we call them that for... Uh, you know, the Appalachians where you have like a, a bald that you can go to and see, actually see stuff because otherwise in the Appalachians there's still trees everywhere. Um, so you would go to a bald, like Andrew's bald is one. Um, and um, you, it, it's a place that's set up on high so that you can see everything else. And it's a place, it's a holy place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, they would do that a lot in, in the scriptures. You would see them go to a high place and build something. They would often do that for false idols uh, the Asherah poles would be set in that type of setting. Uh, that they would get eventually Hezekiah would go and tear down. That's one of the things that happens in this story is that Hezekiah goes and tears down all the Asherah poles. Um, but anyways, so it's the reduction of it to its foundation. Something instead to, like to, almost go back to its roots mm-hmm. of its natural, um, natural holiness. I guess I I. I I struggle with the NIV with that just because yeah. I see the other ones that are saying something different and they're consistently saying something different. Right. So, um, but yeah, so there's just like that. Um, I, I think there's that glimmer of hope there and that, you know, this is going to be reduced, but it's not for the sake of reducing it. It's for the sake of building it back up. Right. And I think that's what we always see in God's wrath. That, uh, I maybe struggle with that with, with Obadiah is probably not that way. Um, with Edom, but there's most of the prophets, if not all of them, have a reduction or a sending out into exile so that something more can happen with these people so that they can be disciplined. It's the same way that we treat our kids. You know, it's not my wrath for Caleb is not for the sake of Caleb, like not for the sake of pouring out wrath on Caleb. Right. You know, it's for the sake of making him better tomorrow than he is today. And yeah. like, in and, and it, it hurts me to do that. It hurts me to discipline my son uh, the way that I have to, but sometimes it's like, you've given me no choice. Mm-hmm. This is what it has to be, and I want you to be better. Um, and so it, and um, we made, this came up in the Bible study yesterday that was really interesting. It's like, um, I probably wouldn't call it wrath. I would call it discipline. Mm-hmm. Caleb, in Caleb's mind, the way he sees it is wrath. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so like when we talk about the wrath of God, it's from our perspective. Uh, Romans chapter three says that of like, whenever we're talking about the wrath of God, he says, I'm talking about this from a human perspective is what Paul will say. And so like, yeah, from our perspective, it looks like wrath. But from God's perspective, it's like, I'm trying to make you something better. And this really hurts. um, But this is something good is going to come out of it is, is his goal. Um, it's not for the sake of just destroying. Yeah. So uh, we always, his wrath is always a, uh, I guess encapsulated in his love, um, in that he wants more for his people. And unfortunately they don't give him any other choices. And he's like, 
guys, I wanted something more from you, but this is what you've, you forced my hand. So here it comes. All right, picking up in chapter four, verse one. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. All right, so uh, he he then transitions, Micah then transitions to a word of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, in that at the end, so at the, I think yours, NIV says at the end of the days. In the last days. In the last days. So, and then uh, this says, uh, and it will be the at the end of those days. So at the end of those days where all that, you know, judgment is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Um, let me look at the ESV for that. Um, and it shall come to pass in the latter days. So it seems unclear. Maybe this is something that's going to happen soon. Or like immediately following that judgment mm-hmm. after it's done. Or maybe that's something that's long term in the future. Or, as always, is what we should consider is maybe this is both. Yeah. Uh, that it's, it's looking both short term as to, listen, you know, this is what's going to happen after the judgment. But then there's also, after this, after this judgment's poured out, but also it's thinking about macro picture long term as well. So maybe there's a little bit of both there. I think it seems to be unclear. But um, but this is essentially uh, verses 1, I think 1 through 3, are a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 2. So one thing that we, uh, we talked about, I think, during the Bible study last week was that, I think Tori brought up that, hey, you know, my commentary says Isaiah was at the same time. Yeah, so Isaiah is a contemporary of Micah. They're at the same time. Isaiah is more in the city. Micah is kind of out from, from not in the city. Um, and, but it would seem that they know each other, um, and that they're, this at least seems to be a common phrase or a common thing that they've kind of come to the conclusion of, of the, Hey, this is, this is actually something that's coming from the spirit that we want to make sure that we put in each of our books. Uh, so they, whenever they write these things down, uh, they're both saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so just something interesting. They're both, they both say almost verbatim the same, the same lines, but, um, it says that the house of Yahweh will be established again as the highest of mountains, so the place that everybody you know looks to, uh, the the most uplifted place, and it will be lifted up above the hills, and the people will stream to it, um, and so and then many nations will come and say, "Come, let us go up the mountain of Yahweh." So all the people now now you're seeing the th- this prophecy is looking at, uh, essentially saying like one day. That promise that was made to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed through his children, uh, through his offspring, you know, that's still coming true. That's still something. This is this is portraying the fulfillment of that. That all of the nations are going to come and say, Let's go, let's go be with Yahweh. Yeah. Um, let's go let's go to that to the temple uh of the God of Jacob, uh, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. So that's just really beautiful. All with- the nations coming to him. 
that that's that's kind of this future hope that what's, he's pointing. What's towards. interesting to me here too is. Again, I kind of get this visual of the staircase yeah. because it's like you're walking up the mountain. So yeah. I kind of see that as like that staircase where we talked about God coming down kind of the staircase from his throne yeah. um, to give that judgment. Instead, we'll ascend the staircase. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And going going kind of to the throne of God. Um, so that kind of reminds me of that. And then also... Um, the law will go out from Zion, and I just think of that. I think of um, the tree of life that we've talked about some recently, and I can't remember what's been on the podcast and what's been in classes and what's been in yeah. Bible studies. It gets all confused in my head, but um, just this idea of like this river of life flowing out. Yeah. From. Yeah. You know, from the city of God of the law going out to the people so that they know about it and can also join and climb that, you know, the nations join in and the climbing to God. Yeah. And so like in the way that Deuteronomy would put it at the end, it's like, look, life and death, you know, blessing and curses have been set before you choose life. What is choosing life? It's following Yahweh's voice. Mm -hmm. And so that's what that is here. I mean, the law is the following, following of his voice. And so um, this idea of that, now all the nations are so and the and the law uh was set for the covenant people um but the whole point behind the law was to point towards what god you know like what god's heart was for mm-hmm. his people that they would that they would look at I, I mean i mentioned this so often but it's so inherent to who god is and who he wants his people to be that they look out for the people that are that are misfortunate that don't have the things that like that is so like fundamental to God's people, and so the law was to show them that, and to to point them in a direction that was looking out for those people and uplifting those people. Yeah. Um. And so now that's going out, not just to the covenant people as they would see it. Uh, now it's to all the nations. Now mm-hmm. all the nations are included in the covenant. Um. And they're able to see the heart of God and follow it. Yeah. Um. It's that idea of that. Uh, one day I'm going to take your heart of stone and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. Uh, I think that's a Jeremiah thing. Uh, and he's going to give a renewed covenant um, that is going to... Now Now we're going to have it built into us. Like that, how do we, you know, we can, we know how to follow Yahweh. It's going to go out and mm-hmm. like a river of life. I mean, because following Yahweh and his voice is life. Right. And so now that's a river of life that's flowing out. So it's like all these things are kind of tying together and I love that. So yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah. and then and then it's just that, you know, he's gonna judge between the right. nations. Well, he's gonna be the righteous judge. So go ahead. Yeah, what? we're not there yet. Oh, we were at the end of chapter verse two. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, no, no, th- no. go ahead. No, you're getting yeah. ahead of everybody. Verse three. Verse three. <laughs> yeah. All right, verse three. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. All right, so he he talks about God being the judge, and so like, He's the righteous judge. He's the one that can actually arbitrate between people. 
and determine what's right. And it's his justice that we're supposed to be pouring out, right? Like that we're supposed to be doing, um, his mishpat. Um, and so he's the one doing that. Um, and nation will not. So this is something that is, uh, this is repetitive. I think there's at least three different times that this comes up that they'll beat their plow, their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And they will not lift up sword against nation, uh, and no longer learn war. Uh, Isaiah mentions this, um, as well as I think another one is I think maybe Joel, it reverses it for the nations that they actually they beat their plowshares into swords and they go and try to fight Yahweh. Um, but anyways, uh, so this is a common phrase. But the point here being that whenever Yahweh is reigning over his people, that whenever he comes and, you know, and he's, and all of the nations are flocking to him, that it's basically going to be a time of peace. Yeah. Um, that his rule and reign brings peace uh, and prosperity. And it's something that uh, there we no longer have to learn war and not just doing away with the weapons, but those weapons turn into something for cultivating and for growing. We just talked yeah. about that with, before. Okay, so like, yeah, I mean, because of everything we've done recently with heaven and earth, obviously you see garden imagery here again with the vine, fig tree, but then even further with these gardening tools yeah. of of changing sort weapons into gardening tools and this idea of a return to Eden. Yeah. Yet again. Yeah. Um, it's just like really cool to me. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just flowing out of the, this is the way like it's returning to an Eden and not just Eden, but a greater than Eden, like what Eden was supposed to be where it's now going out and being cultivated even further. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we're, they're following and listening to the voice of Yahweh and each sits under his own vine, under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and I feel like this section, and again, I feel like we're going to say this every podcast, this again emphasizes to me the importance of reading everything and in its context, because it would be easy to pick out scriptures in Micah and be like, look at this God who is just vengeful and, and just pours out all this wrath without even recognizing the hope that's in here. Yeah. And without understanding all the pieces of the Bible and the full complete story, you wouldn't, you might not even understand that this is like a return to Eden, yeah. a return to like what God wanted from the get go. Yeah. And I think it would, it, the hope in this section might not be so obvious if you didn't understand, you know, like if you didn't have some grasp of the Bible as a whole, like yeah. that I'm just now learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I think this is just so important to seeing, to see that picture of that, that that's the way, you know, that this is, this was always God's intention, in that from, from Eden, from the moment we left Eden, he's been fighting to get us back mm -hmm. uh, and that he's been bringing us back into relationship with him so that he can be in, you know, in our midst. He, he like there's just so much imagery of, of him being in their midst and him having relationship with his people. The one, you know, the, and that there's that love that's going on between them. Even the in verse five, like we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God forever and ever that like it just kind of reminds me of them like walking in the garden, mm -hmm. you know, like it's just, I don't yeah. know if it's the same, like, 
No, I, thing, I mean, I think that that's very it much. It does remind me of like walking in the garden, walking in Eden with God. Yeah. And kind of like, we're going to walk in the name of the Lord. You yeah. Know? I don't know. That's cool yeah. too. One I haven't noticed that before. One other thing that's interesting, uh, verse four, where it talks about that each will sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Uh, this is a repetitive statement. So uh, this gets mentioned in first, I think it's first Kings uh, chapter four. Uh, it's under Solomon's reign. Um, and basically, yeah, uh, chapter four, verse 25. Um, in Solomon's reign, it says that each person sat underneath their own fig tree. Uh, it says Judah and Israel lived in security. Uh, each man under his vine and, and under his fig tree from Dan, as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. So whenever everything was going right, uh, before all of this fell apart, each person had their, you know, like this is that picture of Eden. The way whenever Solomon was actually listening to the voice of God and obeying it, that was the picture that they had. They each had their own. Uh, it's also mentioned in this very story uh, where where Micah finds himself in this setting in, in 2 Kings 18.31, there's a messenger from Assyria that comes in and he's mocking Yahweh. I mentioned this in the last podcast, that he's mocking Yahweh and he says, don't listen to Yahweh and don't listen to King Hezekiah. Uh, they're, they're false. Uh, instead, listen to me because my king can give you your own fig tree and your own vine. Uh, he says, uh, do not listen to Hezekiah for thus says the king of Assyria, make with me a treaty of peace and come out to me that each may eat from his vine and each from his fig tree, and that each may drink a water from his cistern. So he offers the world, the nations offer up, if you would just come and give in to me, then I'll give you what you want. And so now Micah is using that language to say, don't listen to this guy. The world doesn't have what it takes. Instead, it's Yahweh that is going to bring that. Whenever he's ruling and reigning, this will happen. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just think that that's an interesting dynamic. I mean, this is almost like the deceivers coming into your midst. He's saying this thing. Yahweh is saying this thing. Whose voice are you going to listen to? Yeah. And so that's something that we have that happen. We talked about that earlier with just our you know, job situations. It's like a lot of times your job gives you that idea that if you would just but do this, Essentially, then you'll you'll have your own fig tree and your own vine to sit under, you know. That I'm gonna this that if you do this job, then this money will be able to provide those types of things for you. And so that's a lie that's given to you, uh, and then then you have another thing, you know. Then you have the words of God that's like, no, if you would just but, you know, abide in me, then all of those things would come to you. You know, not necessarily the way that the world is telling you, but maybe in a different way. Um, so I think that that's something is important whenever they hear these words, they've heard these words, but they heard it from the nations. They heard it from a Syria messenger coming in and he's basically mocking Yahweh, uh, and, and using these same exact words. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, that's going on. So just beautiful picture of hope. Um, I, I think, I think it's important for us too. I, I think that this is something where we look forward to Jesus and we say, Okay, you know, how did Jesus see himself in this? Uh in in what way is this pointing towards him? Because he would say the law and the prophets were always pointing towards me. Um and you know, I think with this, he he says that I you know, he's like I'm the temple 
of God, right? Uh, and so the, the he is the dwelling place of, of heaven on earth. Um, and it says here in verse 2, it says, And many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of Yahweh, to the temple of the God of Jacob. And so people were flocking to this temple, and Jesus is saying, I'm the temple. And so then we we see that followed up, and like all of these people from all the nations in Acts are are coming and flocking to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, in, in this resurrection um, that they can have new life in him and they they become a people of peace. Uh, you know, Peter, who drew the sword, is now willing to give up his life for the sake of, you know, of his Messiah. Um, and so they turn, Peter himself turns from a man that used to use the sword. Instead, he would allow himself to be killed uh, for the sake of the Messiah and for the for following Yahweh. And so, um, I don't know, I, I see that in that that's what, um, it's that this is kind of in the in-between of they start living this life. They start living life as if this is real, um, that they turn, you know, they turn their swords into plowshares uh, and start delivering hope to the world um, and start going out. Now the law of Yahweh is going out mm-hmm. um, to all the, all the nations. And Paul would say that I'm going out to the Gentiles, right? And so now all the nations are hearing it. So, I think that that's very much a fulfillment of of this, uh, at least in part. So you want to keep going? All right, picking up in verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, a watchtower of the flock, a stronghold, of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Okay, so he he says that he's going to assemble the one who limps. It's really interesting, that word, the one who limps, I think it only occurs one other time, uh, which is whenever Jacob's uh, hip is wrenched, and it says that he walks away limping, um, and he now has a limp. And so he's going to assemble Jacob. Uh, that is representative of of Israel, which he says more outright uh, later. But um, he's going to reassemble them from where they've been scattered in Babylon. You know, whenever they do eventually go off into to exile, that he's going to um, he's going to reassemble them. And the one who limps a remnant. Um, again, that remnant is a positive thing. It's those that still follow Yahweh. Uh, that he hasn't forgotten them. Um, I think is the is the point there is I haven't forgotten you and I'm going to bring you home. Um, and you know, and I'm going to rule over you and, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be your God. Um, and essentially the, you know, the former, the former dominion will come and the reign of the daughter of Jerusalem. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's a King in you. Um, so did we finish in verse nine? No. Or, okay. We haven't gotten to verse nine. Mm-mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he's just saying that I'm going to come and reign over you again. All right. Yeah, so keep going. All right, we're going to uh, pick up in verse 9, and we're going to finish this chapter. All right. Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your can- counselor perished? That pain seizes you like a woman in labor? Writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon, there you will be rescued. 
There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. They say, Let her be defiled. Let her eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. He who gathers them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hoofs of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. So then he challenges the people. And he says, why are you, I'm going to gather you back. Why are you shouting loud? Why are you crying out? Is there no king in you? And it's a question that's challenging their mindset of who's your king? Is your king, uh, you know, Ahaz? Or is your king Hezekiah? Uh, Are they dead? Or like, are they, you know, they left powerless? The whole point, whenever you see the kings come up, um, Whenever they first got a king, it was in First Samuel. The whole story goes of like they come asking for a king, because the all the other nations have a king, and Samuel is so adamant. Like you don't need a king; God is your king. You need to remember who your king is. Yahweh is your king. Follow Yahweh. He's the one that looks after you. But they're so adamant they need a king. They get Saul, and he ends up being hot garbage. Um, and then even David, their apex of the king kingship, he ends up being hot garbage. So, I mean, like even even looking backwards, you can try to see a lot of good things in David, and there are a lot of good things in David. Uh, but ultimately, he he becomes corrupted by his power. Uh, but the whole point is always like you're putting your hope in humanity, and you've forgotten that I am your king. You know, have has your is there no king in you? Well, am I not your king? Has your has your counselor perished? Am I dead? You know, like I'm still here, um, and so he's challenging them on who who they've who they put their hope, hopes in. And instead, he compares them to a woman who's been seized uh, in in labor pains. Um, so I'm interested to get your thoughts on this one on this idea of what why would why would the author use this idea of a woman in labor? Um, so Yeah, okay, so in like specifically in verse 10, writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. And used to, I would have like before kids, specifically before Sadie's birth, yeah. <laughs> I would have read that and seen it as, well, and Caleb's too, as mostly um, negative, obviously, because it's just writhe in agony, like a woman in labor, and you're thinking about all this pain. Um but now, having have had a natural birth um, accidentally, I'm not yeah. sure how much we've said about that on the podcast, but basically Sadie was born, I didn't have, she came very fast, and yeah. I didn't have an epidural, um, so it was... It was a matter of, of what, like 15 minutes? So well, from it, between... was, it was like... It was like 30 minutes, 30. It was like we got in the hospital at 9.45. She was born at 10.22 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it went went incredibly fast. Um, Yeah. And it was very intense. It was very painful. Um, A pain level that... I, I think that that was the first time I have had to like 
vocalize my pain, you know, like, yeah, I'd never seen you like that like, ever. Um, yeah. I, th- where I just couldn't stop, like, you know, <laughs> no, you were screaming <laughs> at screaming, me. I mean, you're screaming. like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Um, and really I didn't start that though until no. like, the last 15 minutes. No, yeah, 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 for sure. For um, sure. When but, my water broke. But yeah, off. once your water broke, it was on like Donkey Kong <laughs> it was- and it was, uh, like it was something it experiencing it from my perspective, I was just like, this is so over the top of anything I've ever experienced before. And, you know, and you're yelling at me like, I can't do this. And I, my only response can be, yes, you can. Like, I have no other yeah, thing to tell you other than, yes, you can. You're going to do it. And, 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 uh, uh, just, so- just to kind of describe the level of pain to, um, I couldn't hold my body still enough for yeah. them to put an IV in my arm. Yeah. Um, they were going to have an, they always, pretty much every time you get checked into the hospital, they're going to probably put an IV in your arm. Um, but they were also going to, they didn't try very long for an epidural, but because um, they just knew it, it wouldn't have even, it's a good thing and that they didn't get any of that stuff in. But mm-hmm. I mean, like afterwards I had bruises on my arm from where they had tried to get yeah. A needle in. It um, was so uncomfortable. It was like very, watching all of it. No, it was, I mean, just for me. <laughs> was, wow. Yeah. Poor Garrett yeah. had just such a terrible experience. It's, not, it's really hard to watch somebody that you love go through something so hard yeah. and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Like it, it it's so I mean and I'm not I'm not saying that my level of experience was like so much harder than yours it's just that that is something that's real that's going on in my well, head of had, like this is so hard could, there's nothing you could yeah. change yeah right um i remember just saying is there anything we can do about the pain mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and it was like it was just too late but i say all that i'm trying to like really emphasize that pain so that i can emphasize the moment sadie was in my arms the pain was gone yeah, and the, it was turned into joy. And it was turned into joy immediately. It was, I mean, I'm sure maybe I was still in pain. I don't really know, but, like, maybe that would have hurt if I had just gone from, like, regular Melissa to holding Sadie in my arms. But because of the excruciating pain that I had been through, it was just, like, pure joy, and it flipped like a switch. Yeah. And so now when I read a verse like verse 10, writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, I see so much hope in that. Yeah. Um, because the the goal of labor is to get the most wonderful gift, yeah. gift and blessing of a baby, yeah. of new life, of like holding this like bundle of pure innocence and just, yeah. I don't know. It's like just a, I can't even really describe it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean essentially we ca- we have that continuing theme of that this negative aspect is not in and of itself for that negative aspect. Right. It's for something greater and something more uh you know that that release uh of joy that would come from the labor and that labor for them is them going in off into Babylon and mm-hmm. that they're everything that they had is taken from them. Yeah. And that it, the prophet compares it to a woman in labor, which is so full of hope. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, you're going to go through something really hard, something really challenging, but trust me, the outcome is worth it. Yeah. Is completely worth it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so that that's what they're being challenged with, and and he says there at the end of at the end of verse ten, there from there I'll rescue you, I'll redeem you, I'll buy you back. You know, you'll be, uh, you'll be my special possession again, and and so he's he's giving them that hope of I'm going to come and get you, and mm-hmm. that's going to be that release whenever you become my people again. Um, and so, and the, this language gets reused so often throughout the New Testament mm-hmm. of, of that, the, you know, creation groaning and all, you know, the, right. everything, like everything is this woman in labor that is having that release. Yeah. Like for, the groaning and labor. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yes. It's so much more, it, it, <laughs> it makes, makes so, so much, much more sense. sense. Yeah. Uh, it, in light of that. And so it, it's so much more of an idea of hope, even though it's negative. Yeah. Um, and so we just continually see that. It, and two, uh, I, this kind of just occurs to me. There are two, you know, two main, I guess we'll call them quote curses, um, for whenever Adam and Eve left the, uh, left the garden is that Adam was going to have to deal with the land and that it was going to not produce for him and things mm-hmm. like he was going to have to go over that. We've kind of already, we touched on it with the plowing of the field, Yeah, plowing. the hope that comes out of that. And then the second mm-hmm. one was the pain in childbirth to the woman. Yeah. Uh, and so now we see that even both of those have this glimmer of hope yeah. uh, in it that good can come out of it. So I don't know. Like, I think that kind of carries forward here. Mm-hmm. Prophet picks up on that, uses that language to give to give uh, uh, glimmers of hope for the future for things that seem really glum. Yeah. So, for sure. Uh, and then we want to get into the threshing stuff. So they... Uh, um, you know the nations are wanting to. They're saying, "Let us be defiled. Let, let us defile them," um, and but they don't know Yahweh's plans. It's something so much more than that. Like it's so much more than just the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, that it, that it has a future hope. And then it says that he gathers them as sheaves on the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, uh, for your horn I will make as iron, your hooves as bronze, and you will break many people into pieces. And the gain you'll devote to the destruction of Yahweh and their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. So we went over this. What were things that you caught from the, the threshing floor uh, that was, uh, that, I guess the that stuck out to you that was important for for understanding this passage. Well, I we talked about this, and because I felt like I had heard threshing floor, before, mm-hmm. and I recognized, and I was pretty sure I hadn't read it in Micah, if I'm honest. Right, right. Because you probably never read Micah <laughs> right. before. Yeah. Um, and it was it it was in Ruth. Yeah. I think Boaz was on. Yeah, he falls threshing. asleep on the the threshing floor, and um, then she comes and lays down at his feet. But basically, um, it's like sheaves of grain have to be opened up and like torn apart um, from their stalks. And so this happens on the threshing floor, and it's kind of like a very destructive destructive process yeah. where like they used to use like I think animals um would like stomp walk on them. they would like yeah. walk around the animals um to like stomp on them to separate and so it's like this very destruct destructive process, but it's ultimately to get the pull the good out of yes to pull the grain to pull the usefulness yep out of yeah what they harvested in the fields yeah so they would separate out the useless stuff yeah the things that weren't that weren't of any use and they would instead harvest the good things uh from that from that stalk and so the idea here uh, again it's just continuing that idea of like this is destructive in its nature uh yeah. but it's not 
the end goal isn't destroying the sh- the sheaves. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. it's in uh, pulling out the grain that can be used, the good stuff from it. And so just the same, it's like whenever we're disciplined by our Father, um, it's not so the, the we can just be destroyed. It's so that the good can be pulled out of us. Uh, and can be and can be harvested, and instead the bad, you know, the things that are that are not useful can be pruned out. Again, I'm using garden language to try to emulate that, like it can be pruned away. Um, the we take away all of the that negative aspects of it, so it's just inherently destructive. Um, but the point isn't the destruction. The point is to to the the good things of of Zion in in the nations would would come out of them uh and be be used. So um yeah, so that's uh the end of end of chapter 4. Do you have anything else that you think is interesting or want to note? I don't I don't think so. Um I just don't think that I would have recognized that in verse 13 that it's kind of talking about you know that this is how they're gonna. Hold on, let me. I'm reading. So I'm reading like a separate commentary, I guess, too, to kind of work through all this. Um, like this idea of Israel demolishing their enemies. This, um, like oxen trampling grain on the threshing floor. Um, because it's you know rise and thresh. So that's like rise and. Stomp all this out, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron, I will give you hooves of bronze. And that's to, like, do that destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will break to pieces many nations. So that's breaking those pieces, though, for the hope of pulling something good out of them. Yeah. Um, and so when it's saying you will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth of of that's like that process of then ultimately those those that that good that you pull out is ultimately for God. Yeah. Um so I don't know like if I just was reading this on my own like silently in in my bed at you know before I fell asleep I'd be like what in the world is this yeah. talking about and I might would be like oh well and just like Yeah. Uh, and so kind of just talking through that. Yeah, and I wonder like, too like what what is Paul's perspective on this type of thing? And because yeah. he sees himself as a you know, he's an apostle to the to the Gentiles and uh it's the, it's them that he's threshing. You know, mm-hmm. like he's he's going out and he's you know, getting he's finding people that will devote you know, that devote themselves to Yahweh. Yeah. Um and and so that's the way I think I think that's the image of the threshing how that gets fulfilled in the way that you know God's people Israel they're the ones that first respond uh to the Messiah and now they are going out and going to the nations and Paul's like the primary one of that in the New Testament um where he's going out to the nations and threshing them by you know I mean by by taking them the gospel and taking mm-hmm. them the news of the Messiah uh and um and that's the way that he's quote threshing them. So if you want to look and see what what does it look like for the for them to thresh the nations, I think that is we'll go look in what Paul does in Acts, you know, yeah. and how he and how he does that. I think that's the threshing of the nations. But that's just my speculation on that. Um I think that's what how that imagery gets kind of fulfilled 
and and how maybe they would look at it looking reading backwards into this so i hope you guys have enjoyed this uh there's a lot more hope in this than uh, chapters one and two but i think all of it all of it is bent on the renewal of god's people uh even his wrath is is covered up in his love uh and that it's going to be you know that's what that's his end goal is that he can bring the nations and bring these children back to him um and and that is his his ultimate goal for the future